Welcome, welcome to episode three of the Unsinkable Marketing Podcast, a pop-up private podcast about diversifying your marketing. I'm having so much fun with this so far. I can't believe we didn't do this earlier, and I'm loving your feedback so far. I got this DM from one of my followers a couple days ago from Paula, and I wanted to share it with you guys. She said, I just wanted to say thank you for the podcast. I loved the first episode because I don't want to use social media for marketing, and right now, if you say that out loud, people think you're crazy. (laughs) Paula, you are not crazy. There are a lot of small business owners out there, me included at times, who are feeling extremely fatigued by social media. The constant changes, the introduction of new tools and formats that feels like someone just added another thing that you need to keep up with. Add to that the constant demand for new content, because I about lost my mind last week when a social media manager on TikTok said she recommends posting multiple times per day. All of that, I'm tired. So Paula, you're not alone in feeling the way that you do. So if you've seen the title of today's episode, you know that we are going to be diving into traffic generated by social media marketing, because I do think that it has value for a lot of people. Not everyone, necessarily, but a lot of people, yeah. So I'm going to explain how I use the platforms that I'm on, why I utilize them the way that I do, and how I safeguard my time to keep social media from feeling like a 24-7, 365 job. Is it possible to make a huge splash on social media and generate significant income from bookings as a result? Yes, absolutely. I've seen people do it. I actually owe a lot of our growth to people who have found us by way of Facebook and Instagram. But I believe that it is also possible to generate significant income without social media, and I've seen people do it. If you've been on social media for any measure of time, you know that marketing on social media is more than just a series of calls to action accompanied by pretty photos or entertaining videos. There is some of that, yes, but there is also the opportunity to, as Russell Brunson phrases it, build your attractive character. This helps to take your marketing and your messaging from simply transactional to relational. You've heard the saying that people buy from those they know, like, and trust, right? Social media is a rolling opportunity to build your know, like, and trust factor. We talked in last week's episode how search-related traffic is actively looking for answers to particular problems they're having. Social media traffic is different because your audience isn't necessarily actively looking for you. You're hoping to catch their attention by interrupting them with engaging content and then quickly earning a micro-commitment in the form of a follow. They're people who might one day need or want what you offer, but there tends to be less urgency, less need for a solution right now with people who find you on social media. And that gives you the opportunity to win them over with multiple exposures to your brand in the coming weeks and months. The term traffic just means eyes on your business. The hope in getting your target audience's eyes on your business is that they will like what they see and choose to engage in some way, shape, or form, eventually choosing to take a desired action. For me, that ultimate desired action typically looks like either booking me for a brand photo shoot or becoming a student of mine via one of our courses or products. That's the game for me. I'm not on social media for fun, though admittedly it can be fun and it often makes me laugh. I'm not there to inflate my ego or look for personal affirmation. I am there to grow my business and to help other people grow theirs. When I lose sight of those clear goals is when I find myself spending more time than I want scrolling through my feed. That's when staring at my phone starts to pull me away from being present with my family, from enjoying real life happening around me. It pulls me away from the people and the things that matter most to me when I use social media without boundaries. So I regard social media as a tool for work. In the same way that I don't pull out my laptop and casually answer work emails during family movie night, I try to be very intentional and careful about how and when I use social media. 
I delete the apps from my phone at night and for the weekend. And we've actually talked about using one of my husband's old phones as a social media home base so that I don't have to keep the app on my phone at all. Does all of this make me sound crazy? I really, really hope not. I hope what I'm illustrating for you is just how much time and consideration I've given, not just to what I'm going to post and when, but also towards how I can use social media to market without it feeling like I am always on my phone or always in marketing mode. This overall mentality of viewing social media as a workplace tool has helped enormously in cutting the overwhelm or despair that so many people tend to come away with. If social media is an avenue of marketing you're going to use to grow your business, I can't emphasize this enough. You need to be clear about why you're there. In the book, Digital Minimalism, author Cal Newport, and I will reference him a lot throughout this podcast. He is my favorite author. But in his book, Digital Minimalism, Cal Newport talks about how the social media platforms, they want you to regard places like Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok as simply like fun places to hang out. These platforms are also reaping enormous profits off of you spending time on their apps via ads. And that's not inherently wrong. Social media companies are businesses. They're not charities. And it's in their best interest for you to regard Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook as like a grown-up's virtual playground. But is it in your best interest? Only you can decide that for yourself. Many people feel that social media has made their lives better by way of connecting them with family and friends, maybe helping users find service providers and products that they enjoy, and making us laugh. But I also know how easy it is for me to get sucked into my phone and pulled away from time with loved ones with a quick check on social media. And so I can simultaneously acknowledge the potential of social media to help me grow my business while also approaching with caution and trying to keep the apps at an arm's length. That's what works for me. You might find another approach entirely works for you. I'm going to say this in every episode. I do not want you to hear everything I'm about to say and take it as a list of homework assignments for yourself. I've been in business for more than a decade, and we have tried a lot of different marketing tactics. Some of them stick and some of them don't, but it's taken me 12 years to get to where I am right now and form the opinions that I have, and our current marketing plan took us a long time to land on. And add to that, it's an ever-evolving process. So I want you to listen to this content and to the strategies that I share in the weeks to come, and I want you to cherry pick from them. Take maybe one tactic from today's lesson, try it out, see how it works for you. Then next week's lesson on relationship marketing, choose one tactic from that and try it in a few weeks from now, and so on and so on. One of the best ways to ensure that you burn out is by trying to take everything I'm about to share and implement all of it at one time. You will get incredibly overwhelmed and I promise you, you won't make it to the end. So just choose one new thing to try and try it consistently for several weeks. Then once you feel like you've either got a system or a routine established or you feel like it's not working and you can say that it's not working from a place of having tested it, then you can try or add in another tactic. I'm going to throw everything I do at you in this podcast so you have a well-rounded understanding of marketing, but I also want you to hear all of this as a menu of options for you to choose from, especially if you're starting from zero, okay? Let's work our way through by going platform by platform, and I'm going to break down my tactics for how I use each one of these and then how we use the various formats of interaction on each platform, because as you guys know, there are a lot of different ways to share content on Facebook and Instagram. Let's start with the OG social media, Facebook. Actually, it's not the OG, is it? That honor goes to MySpace. Woof, that's a throwback. All right, so I detailed in last week's episode on search-related traffic that I have two main target audiences. We have my agency clients who hire me to come shoot brand photos for them. These are high-performing, sales-driven, creative small business owners. And then my other audience is my students, 
photographers, typically brand and wedding photographers, who want to learn how to better run and grow their businesses. I talk to each audience differently. I don't interact much with my agency clients on Facebook, but our students, absolutely. Whoever it is you're trying to reach, you need to know where your people hang out online. So maybe your target audience is all over TikTok, but they don't even have a Facebook account. So like in that situation, I probably wouldn't advise that you spend a ton of time or money interacting in Facebook groups and like beefing up your Facebook business page or your personal page. But maybe your target audience is women in their 50s and 60s. You're probably going to have more luck with Facebook ads than pushing out reels of you dancing to whatever song is trending at the moment. Understand who your people are, where they spend their time, and how they use the apps themselves, and then meet them there. I resisted TikTok and Reels for a long time, and I felt totally justified in doing so because our audience simply wasn't using those formats either. But when the tide started to turn and Reels became more commonly used and consumed, I had to swallow my pride and adjust. But I did so from a strategic standpoint, not just because it was shiny and new. More on that later in this episode. Of all the various ways Facebook offers to interact with an audience, the one I use most heavily is Facebook Groups. We have a free group, Brand Photographers Assemble, which I hope you've joined, and that's where I'll occasionally do portfolio reviews, live lessons, answer questions from other photographers, that kind of thing. I love that group. Now, let me be clear. I don't spam that group or use it as a farm system for course students. It is, first and foremost, a place for brand photographers to learn together and find community. I'll occasionally post referrals in that group, maybe helpful resources from other educators, and I also give feedback and help when needed. I do that because I love teaching and I love answering questions, but I also host that group because it's a way for me to demonstrate value in a consistent way, earning the trust of members in the group. If a brand photographer has never heard of me and stumbles across my courses and my resource shop, they may not know if they can trust me to deliver quality content. Maybe they've paid for courses before that made big promises but turned out to be a waste of time. But a free Facebook group where they can come and learn without risking their hard-earned dollars is a chance for me to demonstrate that I am a good teacher. I do deliver a ton of value. And if this is the free stuff, can you imagine how much better the paid material is? We also maintain a Facebook page for Abby Grace Photography, though admittedly I do very little with that other than running Facebook ads to like value-packed freebies and our products. We'll dive more into how we use Facebook ads in episode five on paid traffic coming in a couple of weeks. I post links to my blog post on my Facebook page and I let folks know about things like this podcast, any course releases, cool PR that I may have received. But the engagement on that page is astonishingly low. We have something like 11,000 fans on that page. And when I published a post pointing to this podcast, it got two likes, two. So I don't put a ton of effort into that page because neither of my audiences, my brand clients or my students are really interacting with me there. I do also have a personal Facebook page, but the updates to that are few and far between. Why? Because I usually forget that people post on personal Facebook pages anymore. I use a Chrome plugin called Newsfeed Eradicator, which blocks my feed for Facebook and Instagram on my laptop browser. See, I used to procrastinate on hard work like by scrolling on various social media feeds, and that's a big problem for me. So the plugin makes that an impossibility. I literally cannot scroll on Facebook and I cannot scroll on Instagram from my computer. And since I don't keep those apps on my phone, can't scroll on my phone either. There are admittedly times when that is slightly problematic because I don't see updates from, well, anybody, unless I intentionally go and visit their personal pages. But on the whole, the improvement to my life has been well worth the trade-off. 
Could I do more with my personal page if I saw what other people are posting and had the chance to interact with them? Maybe. But to be honest, my goal is to spend less time on social media, not more. So vague promises of, oh, but you don't know what you might be missing. Those are not enough to tempt me back into my scrolling tendencies because I know the cost is too high. So that's it for Facebook. Let's move on to another meta platform, Instagram. I have a love-hate relationship with the gram. I really appreciate the way that it's assisted me in growing my business, but I also recognize the platform has been engineered in such a way to take advantage of our desires for connection, approval, and inclusion. I'm wary of adopting new formats introduced by Meta because I do not want to fall prey to shiny object syndrome, where we assume that because a feature is new and because it's internet related, it must be good for our businesses, right? I am an extremely slow adopter of new methods because I want to make sure that they align with how I want to show up as a brand. The Abby Grace brand is intentional and purposeful, and I have an almost unhealthy commitment to excellence. So my thought process is always, if I can't show up on whatever format is introduced and do it well, or even if I can do it well, if it isn't purposeful and in alignment with my values, I won't do it. You do not have to use every new method of social media that gets introduced. You can pick and choose what works for you to help you reach your audience. Adopting new social media methods for me is a combination of questioning whether my people and my audience are going to be using said method and how it jives with my goals and values as a business owner and a human. I will admit I've been guilty in the past of dismissing new features outright because I didn't understand them. And because I didn't understand them, I assumed they didn't have value. And that's an overcorrection. So I do think it's good and wise to examine whether new features could benefit you and your business. I just want to make a wise choice about whether to adopt that new feature, not a decision born out of FOMO. I'll reference the book Digital Minimalism again. Cal Newport talks about the difference between the any benefit approach versus the craftsman approach. The any benefit approach, it looks at a tool and asks, is there any benefit, any at all, that I might gain by using this tool? If it's a yes, no matter how vague that benefit may be, they adopt the tool. Well, the problem with the any benefit mindset is that it fails to take into account the cost of using the tool and to weigh that cost against the potential benefits. The alternative to the any benefit mindset is the craftsman approach of asking, what do I value most as a business owner? And then selecting the tool that best supports that value. So for example, I really value the opportunity to share what I've learned with other photographers to help make their businesses more efficient and more effective so they can spend more time in their zone of genius. I love that. That right there, that's my zone of genius. So I'm looking for a tool that will help me deliver high quality education to my followers in a way that feels good with how I like to communicate which makes me wonder why have I never considered podcasting before? (laughs) But I also value freedom, the ability to step away from work and turn off that part of your brain so you can live fully into the roles that you have outside of work. Maybe you're a parent or a spouse or a partner or a friend. I want to be able to live fully into those roles without your mind constantly being pulled back into thinking about business. If I can manage to do that with a new social media tool and I feel like it is the best way for me to reach my people, I'll adopt it. If not, I probably won't. For example, I never adopted IGTV because I felt like if I was going to put that much effort into making episodes of anything, I would rather go on YouTube where it's much more likely to be found via search engine traffic and I'd have the potential to reach more people who are actively searching for help with a problem versus casual users who might stumble upon my videos on Instagram but who don't have as urgent of a need for the information that I'm sharing. 
Your next question might be, well, couldn't you just repurpose YouTube videos for IGTV? Yes, you could, but like we don't have a social media team at our disposal and I'm doing most of the work myself. So I'm also taking into consideration where can I give my best energy on social media where it's going to reach the most people and make the biggest difference in their lives without spending all of my time marketing my business on Instagram. A flag that you might be approaching with the any benefit mindset is when you are unable to point to the clear benefits of a tool. How does it help you grow? And I mean growth beyond just vanity metrics. Vanity metrics are numbers that make you feel good, but do not necessarily tie to your bottom line. So like follower count, view count, like count. If your business is one that can point to a clear line between higher engagement and higher profit, go for it. We do not necessarily see that same clarity with social media and my business. So you need to be able to point to how does it help you grow? How does it help you lend real, definable value to others in your community? As social media changes, the way that I use it changes too, because I'm not looking to keep up with every shiny new feature in order to stay relevant. This is the whole reason I decided to focus this podcast on numerous forms of marketing, because while social media can be helpful, it's also in social media's best interest to keep you on their platforms. I really hope this doesn't come across as doom and gloom, but I don't believe that it's always in our best interest, because regarding social media as the be all end all of your marketing strategy, it keeps you dependent on social media for bookings instead of branching out and exploring where else clients might be able to find you. Being an unsinkable marketer means diversifying where people find you, where your leads are coming in from, so you don't have to worry about being on social media all the time. So you can make the choice to do reels or not from an informed standpoint instead of adopting the format out of fear of falling behind. I'll get off my soapbox now. When it comes to Instagram, I use it in three main ways, and I'm going to go in order of how often I use each method. First, Instagram stories. So I view stories as a huge opportunity to build know, like, and trust points with my audience by sharing lessons learned, helpful tips and tricks, and sharing small snippets of life behind the scenes of our business. I used to share a lot more about my personal life on stories, but after my son was born in 2019, that slowed down a lot. Some of that was due to simply having less time for social media. Some of it was wanting to limit how much of our lives that we share, but most of it was because, and this feels kind of embarrassing to admit, but most of it was because every time I post on stories, I feel compelled to open Instagram again and again to see if I have any DMs or engagement. So instead, I just post less, and that's okay with me. If I do take any photos at night or over the weekend that I want to share, because again, I don't keep social media on my phone at nights or weekends, I'm just going to wait until Monday to share those. I probably end up posting to stories a couple times a week, and I don't plan or schedule those out ahead of time unless we're approaching a launch week for a course or promotion period. My aim is to reach both my agency clients and our educational audience with Instagram, and stories have played a big part of that. I share behind the scenes from shoots and then previews a few days later. Those serve to reach both my future brand clients who are already following me, as well as reaching my students who can see what sort of projects I'm working on. They also reach future students and demonstrate, this girl really does know what she's talking about, doesn't she? And they also reach my current clients, showing them what I'm up to. Repeat clients are a big part of our business as brand photographers, and by exposing them to who else I'm working with and the cool projects I'm involved in helps keep me on their radar. That's something I love about branding. As a wedding photographer, I hardly ever worked with repeat clients since I didn't offer newborn and family portraits. But as a brand photographer, my clients often do need to update their images after a couple of years, sometimes even sooner than that. So I'm not having to work just as hard for every single new client when we have repeat clients because they already know, like, and trust me to do a great job with their photos. 
I save pretty much all my stories containing behind-the-scenes clips and previews to a single highlight on my uh, Instagram bio titled Branding, and that's where future clients can see more of my work and more of what it looks like to work with me. Any especially good tips or lessons I share, I'll save to a highlight Brand FAQ, where future students can go binge watch a bunch of value-packed content, which serves to validate that, once again, this girl really does know what she's talking about. And that brand FAQ highlight also serves double duty to show my agency clients, both current and future, that I am an expert. It positions me as an authority by demonstrating my level of knowledge about my craft. Actually, during a console call last year, my client referenced having watched my FAQ stories a few times and how she really liked what I said about XYZ. That was a big light bulb moment for me, that teaching publicly not only helps and encourages our students, it also helps grow my authority for my agency clients. Stories is also my go-to for resharing our students and client successes. So like when one of my brand photography students tags me in a post like, oh, I'm going through module two and I had this major aha moment. I love reposting that. Or when one of my photography clients posts that she's been featured in HGTV magazine, I love reposting that kind of stuff to my stories because it's a passive means of selling my own services by way of social proof. Like, see, it's not just me that believes in what I do. Look at all of these other people having success with my products and services. When it comes to personal content, I have a few storylines I tend to share about, areas of my life where I'm comfortable letting folks in, you know, consistent stories that I've shared about in the past. I don't share every area of my life because honestly, that seems exhausting. And more importantly, I don't need my audience to know everything about me in order to determine whether or not I'm qualified to serve them. This is a key point of personal branding that a lot of people miss. Personal branding doesn't mean that you have to share everything that's going on in your life. Personal branding instead involves intentionally selecting a few key areas of life that resonate with your target audience and sharing openly about those. For me, that means sharing about my husband and I's journey to becoming parents. I've been a bit quiet about it lately, but my husband and I started trying for a family almost seven years ago, and our son Felix was born in August of 2019, joining our family by way of adoption. We are currently in the process of adopting baby spring number two, and as we have updates to share, I typically post those to my stories, sometimes my feed. Big shocker, but I also then save them to a highlight. So my purpose in sharing those stories about adoption and about our family's journey is to demystify the adoption process for others who might be in a similar situation to us, who might maybe consider adoption if they knew a little bit more about it. We shared bits of our journey as we walked through the infertility process too, and I was really grateful for how sharing connected me with other women who were struggling silently with similar grief. I also share about our house. A year and a half ago, we bought my childhood dream house. It's a 150-year-old farmhouse. It's white with a green tin roof and green shutters. It's so beautiful. And it's in walking distance to our local historic town, which sometimes feels like Stars Hollow. I share any updates we make to our house, like when we put in new floors in the kitchen or when we decorated our living room. This house has nothing to do with my photography or educational offers, but it serves to humanize the brand even further, and it helps our followers get to know me, giving our followers a peek into our lives beyond just the work that I do. There's a lot I don't share, though. Like, I don't share every trip we take or the meals we eat or the date nights that Matt and I go out on, and that's mostly because I don't want to have to have my phone on me all the time. I do save any stories with my son in it to a highlight titled Felix. I think actually we're down up to Felix too because I maxed out the first one, but that's really just for me to go back and watch whenever I want to. I view the high quality educational content that I share on stories as sort of deposits into the bank of goodwill. I like to make a lot of deposits into that account so that folks don't feel like they're getting spammed with requests to buy our products every time they view my stories. 
I do share about any offers we're currently promoting, but I do so sparingly because this counts as a withdrawal from the bank of goodwill, and I never want to overdraft. If we're in active launch mode for Brand Photography Academy, you're going to hear me talking about the benefits of the course, sharing kind words from past students, reposting stories from new students who are pumped to have just signed up, that kind of thing. If we're running a Black Friday sale, you're going to see me post reminders of when that sale is ending. I will be honest, this is by far my least favorite way to use Instagram, but as a course creator who uses social media, it's helpful, honestly, for reminding folks when the deadline to like doors closing is approaching. So I use stories for promotion, but again, I do so sparingly. Because the Instagram algorithm rewards people for using whatever their newest format is, it's no surprise that my number of views for stories has tanked over the last few months, which is really disappointing and frustrating, especially when we're in a promotion period. Instagram is pushing people towards reels instead, which is why I decided to finally grit my teeth and give those a try, which we'll talk about in a minute. Let's move on to the Instagram feed. I really appreciate how the sentiment about feeds has changed over the last year or so. Those perfectly beautiful curated feeds that used to be regarded as like the height of social media marketing, I'm seeing fewer and fewer industry leaders stick to that line anymore. I'm seeing more honest photos, images that are not perfectly curated, iPhone photos of kids on their feeds of, you know, people who used to only post professional photos with a limited color palette. I love that. I love seeing that. I tend to overthink posts to my feed because granted, I am a professional photographer and as a result, I don't post very often. Well, I mean, it's the result of overthinking it, but also the fact that like Instagram doesn't prioritize static posts to your newsfeed anymore. I don't know about you, but my engagement on my feed has been in a slow decline for several years. These days, if I'm going to post to my feed, it's likely going to fall into one of three main categories. It's either going to be a carousel of images from a recent shoot to appeal to my agency clients and show that I'm in demand or a juicy like high quality tip or series of tips for my educational audience, or a personal update on my family. I pre-write my posts in Planoly. It's an app that I use to pre-schedule posts, and I typically schedule them for like 8 or 11 a.m. during the week, and I never post to my feed on weekends. Firstly, because I, again, do not have social on my phone on weekends, but also because my audience is not as engaged on weekends. I don't obsess over hashtags, and I typically only include the ones that I personally want to be able to track, like hashtag Springman Journey to Baby or hashtag Abby Grace Brand Portraits. You'll probably find other social media advisors who will tell you that like hashtags are really important. I don't know, but honestly, I just don't care that much, so I don't use them that much. Oh, and my reels also get posted to my feed, which brings us to the final of the three formats that I use on Instagram, reels, which I know has been on a lot of your minds recently, mine too. And also here, I'm going to combine reels and TikTok because in general, I am posting the same thing on both channels. Now, there are definitely some nuances between those two channels, and we'll go into those at the end here, like the differences that I've observed between TikTok and reels. But like, I'm going to use the term reels and just know that unless I specify otherwise, I'm I'm talking about both Reels and TikTok, okay? So one of the goals that I committed to earlier this year was to post two to three Reels every week. I will admit that that has the potential to feel all-consuming, um, and it like at times I feel like, oh my gosh, is there anything I'm doing marketing-wise other than Reels and TikTok, which is actually part of the reason that I started this podcast in the first place, because I know just how crucial it is for us to diversify our marketing. Um, so we haven't shared this with our newsletter friends or like social media channels, but I worked with a Reels expert for a couple of months to help me generate ideas for short-form video content. So like I would upload to a Google Doc the stuff that I wanted to talk about or maybe like our launch schedule um, or like 
pieces that I was seeing pulled out from our from our brain photography students that were big aha moments, and I wanted to be able to create a reel based on that because I knew it could be helpful to the mass market. Um, and then my reels person took those and like paired them with like trending songs or even like put together like a mock-up video for those. It was amazing. Um, the reason that we did that, the reason that we decided to work with a reels expert is because you remember how I said that I've got like an almost an unhealthy commitment to excellence? I did not want, I knew I wanted to do reels because I wanted to test it out and see if that was like a viable place for us to generate traffic. But I didn't want to show up and look like an old person who was totally out of touch with like what the current trends are. Like, you know, like your Aunt Judy who used to type in all caps on Facebook. I didn't want to do that. So if I was going to do reels, I needed to do them well, embracing the nuances of the platform. You know, like not showing up and doing a trending song that's been out of fashion for like six months, which makes you look like you're out of touch. But in order to understand those nuances, I knew that I was going to have to like watch a ton of videos. And I really, really didn't want to have to do that. I didn't want to spend more time on social media. And that's my hope for you is to spend less time on social, not more. So we hired someone to do that research for us. And I will say this, like I've become a lot better about coming up with original ideas because of working with her. It's almost like my brain needed to click in place how to think in terms of reels and working with her helped me do that. So our Reels coach did a weekly brain dump of trending songs and sounds, and then she would take the content ideas that I had listed out, things that I wanted to teach, and she paired those with a soundbite or a trending song that could help me teach whatever it is I'm trying to teach in a way that feels on brand for me. Um, and I'll say this, like it's taken quite a bit of trial and error to figure out what quote unquote on brand feels like for me when it comes to Reels and TikTok. Um, I realize that for me, I don't love lip syncing to songs unless it's like a throwback song from when I was in high school. Uh, I prefer also to strike a positive, helpful, sometimes goofy tone with my content instead of this like snarky, biting sense of humor that tends to get a lot of views on Reels, but just really feels off message from how we want to communicate with people. I always want our clients and our students to know that they are safe to come and learn and ask questions without fear of being ridiculed. My initial thought in starting to use Reels is that we would get folks to our email list by offering freebie downloads that were associated with whatever video that I posted. So like, hey, here's the lighting gear, like, you know, five pieces of lighting gear I can't live without for brand shoot, download my lighting gear at the link in bio. Uh, I've seen that method work really well for other other people in the past, keyword being in the past, because we're at a place now where like Reels, you're no longer an early adopter. So like Instagram's not giving the same emphasis behind prioritizing Reels like they used to. So like that method that maybe worked a year ago or even six months ago is not getting the same kind of traction that it used to. So like that whole post a download thing in tandem with the Reel did not work out as well as planned for us. I was actually really disappointed with the, with the download numbers we saw there, just being frank, because you and I, we've been hanging out for a while now on this podcast. I feel like I can be honest with you. Um, and, and I think part of the reason behind that is because our audience has become wary of freebie downloads because honestly, you guys can probably get so much email already. And you know that if you sign up for a freebie, it's going to add you to somebody's email list. So I get it. I get why downloads have been slow. But then we also haven't seen like in committing to posting to Reels, you know, two to three times a week for for a whole quarter, we also have not seen a significant uptick in followers either, which I was 
also a bit bummed about. Um, we posted a few reels last September when we launched our course and I gained like two to 300 followers after only five videos. But because, like I said, because more people are using reels now and we're not in early adopter mode anymore, there are more people competing for attention, which means slower growth. The landscape is more crowded. I, I'm also only posting two to three times per week. And right now, the prevailing wisdom is that in order to gain momentum quickly, you have to post anywhere from like three to 10 times per day on TikTok in the beginning and keep that up for 30 days. Guys, that's banana pancakes. You and I have actual client work to do, right? Most business owners simply cannot spend all of their time on their on marketing and certainly not marketing on one platform. Or what about blogging and, and podcasting? What about relationship building and YouTube? All of those things matter. We can't just abandon all of our other marketing efforts and all of our client work in order to pump out a bunch of content that keeps continues to keep people on Instagram or TikTok's platforms. So I'm not saying, I, I have a tendency to express pa- opinions passionately. So please know, I'm not saying that it is wrong to jump on the three times a day for 30 days train. If you have the bandwidth to do it, I have seen that work well for business owners. Um, and if you can find a way to batch record a ton of videos in one day that are going to last you for weeks, go for it. But what I am trying to say is if you hear that like three times a day or 10 times a day for 30 days thing and you feel overwhelmed, you're not taking crazy pills, okay? That feels insane to me too. (laughs) And here's the thing, the best practices for TikTok and Reels, that changes really quickly. As of now, the optimal video length is like seven seconds and that'll probably change, who knows, by the end of this sentence. I mean, heck, my best performing reel thus far was 43 seconds long. Um, so, But it also depends on your audience. Like one of my agency clients was just telling me that her best performing TikTok was a video that was almost three minutes long. So like it, it really does depend on your business. I'm attempting to use reels as a way to drive traffic. And right now it doesn't really seem to be doing anything other than driving views, which granted might be helpful. Um, Maybe it's re-engaging some of our followers who haven't interacted with my account in a while, keeping me top of mind, helping helping remind them that this girl really does know what she's talking about. Uh, And so when I look at reels and TikTok in terms of top of mind marketing, it does feel like an important piece of the marketing pie. But just getting views is not enough in the long term. Views don't pay bills. Heck, followers don't pay bills. Our business grows, my business grows, when we book new brand clients and we, when we help brand photographers grow their businesses with our courses and products. So while views are fun and new followers are fun too, and I love getting comments and engagement on Reels, I'm interested in how Reels can assist us in helping more people and how it can help grow our business. What I'm learning with Reels and TikTok is that you have to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall in order to see what sticks, see what resonates with your followers, see what feels good for you. And you might find that nothing feels like it's sticking. And that's okay. Remember, your goal is to figure out where your target audience hangs out and then to meet them there. I also never want to lose sight of my brand's identity and my efforts to drive traffic with a new channel. I never want to be so focused on getting new followers that I start posting a bunch of videos that communicate in a way that feels inauthentic to me. My brand is, I don't know if you can tell already, my brand is very intentional and purposeful. It's funny, but it's also simultaneously a little bit chic. My website designer aptly named it a walking contradiction. I don't want to sacrifice any of those qualities for the chance to go viral. I have worked way too hard to establish my brand's identity, and I'm not willing to lose that in my pursuit of what's new or shiny. 
So my plan moving forward is still two to three reels per week, filmed ahead of time, filled with purposeful content, taking into consideration who is this video for? How is it going to encourage, edify, or educate my viewers? I'm not so focused on trending sounds and songs as I am with making sure that I'm showing up in a way that is true to the Abby Grace brand. So like, does that sometimes include some gangster rap? Yes, it does. But like, tasteful gangster rap, you know, like from the early 2000s, paired with some helpful, high-quality tips and a dose of joy. <laughs> so here's a pro tip. If I'm doing a reel that involves multiple clips stitched together, I actually prefer editing those in iMovie. I can do it on my computer instead of editing in the Instagram app on my phone, meaning I am less likely to be interrupted and distracted by texts, calls, or Instagram pushing DM and comment notifications to the top of the app, which is so distracting. <laughs> so if I do it on my computer, I'm able to edit faster. I'm also able to edit way more precisely. I hate how glitchy the Reels editor is, and iMovie bypasses all of that. I'll keep going for now, and we'll reassess at the end of the quarter. If it's helping us grow, great. If not, then we'll likely discontinue the posts or at least style it way back. I'm trying my best to treat this like a science experiment because that helps me keep uh, from feeling like I am a success or a failure based on how well or how poorly a video does. So I told you guys there are some key differences, some nuanced differences between Reels and TikTok. These are them because while the format is very similar, um, there are some small, like I said, nuances that you guys are going to want to take into consideration. Number one is demographic. Instagram attracts a slightly older and a broader audience than TikTok, which makes sense because Instagram does a lot more than TikTok. Instagram's also been around for a lot longer than TikTok. So keep that in mind as you're considering where your audience actually spends time. My educational audience is, is more likely to be on Reels than TikTok, but that's also beginning to shift as more people realize that they can easily post content across both channels. I feel like right now, TikTok has more potential to reach new people instead of simply reconnecting with Instagram followers who haven't seen my stuff in a while. And both of those have value, but they also require different kinds of effort. So like on Instagram, I can show up like the authority I am, but on TikTok, I have at present like 38 followers. <laughs> and the number of followers, and let me be clear, doesn't change the fact that I am an authority in my field, but it does mean that new folks who don't know who I am and have like randomly stumbled across a video that I posted, I have to be more intentional about earning their trust and demonstrating that I am indeed an authority because I do not have, you know, 20,000 followers behind me that is like, sorry, like a little bit of a credibility signal to people, whether that's earned or unearned. Like you guys, you know, you look at the numbers on someone's Instagram and you, if it's a big number, you're impressed and probably assume that they're doing something correct, whether or not that's true. <laughs> so I don't have that same subconscious signifier on TikTok, which means that the way I approach TikTok is going to need to be finessed just a little bit to demonstrate a ton of authority up front to help build those numbers. So I, at present, have been considering TikTok as simply a second secondary place to post reels versus an app that requires, you know, a nuanced approach. And if I happen to gain followers, great, but I'm not presently stressing about growth on TikTok right now because we're still trying to conquer the whole reels thing. Do I think there's potential for TikTok? Yes. But with the limited time and attention I have, reposting my reels to TikTok is going to have to do for now. And I don't mean like downloading the video from reels and then posting it on TikTok. I mean like uploading the same video content to both as individual posts. That way there's not like a there's not like a TikTok uh, watermark on the video that I'm posting to Instagram, that kind of thing. Um, so let me just encourage you guys to do the best you can with what you have. 
Remember, I edit my videos in iMovie and then I add text to each video on the respective app. So if I have to add text for my reel, then I re-add that same text in TikTok. And the reason for that is if you download a draft from Instagram, it doesn't save your sound, which may not be a problem if you're using a song or a trending sound that you can re-add on TikTok. But if you're piecing together your video in reels and you're using like original audio of you speaking to the camera, you're going to have to re-stitch the video clips together in TikTok Hence why I do it in iMovie so I can just upload one final video and then place text over the video as needed. Nuanced difference number two, sounds tend to trend on TikTok before they make their way over to Instagram. So if you're into the whole like trending sounds thing, there are so many social media managers over on TikTok and I'm starting to see this more and more on Instagram too. But people who post daily, sometimes several times a day with trending song alerts so that you can hop on that trending train and hopefully ride the wave. You could easily take those sounds and post them on Instagram Reels and be slightly ahead of the curve of folks who only get their trending sounds from the Instagram app after they've had their heyday on TikTok. Difference number three, TikTok allows videos up to 10 minutes long. That is relatively new, whereas Instagram caps you at 60 seconds. That's not a big deal for me so far because I've not experimented with longer videos, but maybe that's something I'll do in the weeks to come to see if that generates more traffic on TikTok. We'll see. Number four, captions in TikTok need to be much shorter than Instagram. You're limited to 300 characters for a TikTok caption and 2,200 characters for Instagram. So that changes things slightly with what text, actually that changes things a lot with what text that goes on my videos. I tend to be a bit loquacious. Um, So like on Instagram, I don't need to explain everything in the text over the video because I can use the caption to give a ton more detail. But with TikTok, the caption is too short for any kind of in-depth explanation. So I will will either need to include in-depth information in the video, audio, or visual itself, or post the text over the video to achieve the same end. Number five, TikTok is much more casual than Instagram. You can show up in sweatpants and no makeup on TikTok and people eat it up. Whereas on Instagram, audiences tend to favor more polished, put together content. Uh, and, And I think that's partly why some people find it easy to post multiple TikToks per day because it doesn't seem to require the same level of like put togetherness that you see on Instagram. You don't have to change your outfit for every single TikTok. You don't have to do your makeup. So it's easier to show up and post multiple times per day. The thing people like about social is that it is free and it's relatively easy and your target audience is likely already on social media, but that doesn't mean you have to use it. It does mean, however, that if you're not going to use social media, you've got to be really strategic about where you are marketing. Next week's episode is all about relationship marketing, and I cannot wait to get into that with y'all. If you haven't already joined the Facebook group for brand photographers, head on over to the link below. We'll see you inside the group and I'll see you guys next week on Unsinkable Marketing.